Hello everyone, thanks again for joining. I just wanted to take a quick moment before we start today's episode and just let you know that yes, I am in, indeed using the Tascam X8 again to record today's episode. And it's a bit of a learning process just having things connected and set up and dialed in. So I hope that I am sounding at least as good, if not better, than I have before. Uh, one other thing is if I'm a bit more nasally than normal is we have kind of a flu and various sicknesses going through the household at this point in time, but I don't want to miss the bi-weekly episodes that will be dropping uh, on Monday, so I can't put off recording you know, any more than I already have, so just thank you so much for your understanding. It's greatly appreciated. And with that, here we go. Welcome to Lost Without Japan, a travel podcast about the life-changing experiences of exploring Japan and those moments we would be lost without. For your listening pleasure, allow me to introduce your very own Kanko Gaido, Michael. Welcome to this week's episode of Lost Without Japan, a podcast based on Japan and your Lost Without moments. This is your director of travel for TKIC Studio Productions, coming to you with positive thoughts and excitement for your next journey to Japan and his own return next summer. I'd like to thank you for giving me a bit of your time today, and I truly hope this podcast finds you in a good place or on the path to a better one, no matter how it may seem at this moment. My belief is that we can all use a beacon like this one in our lives to help guide us during these times, as my hope is that Japan, along with this show, will become that for you. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're a returning Lost Without listener, thank you again for your time and for returning once more. Let's start today's episode off by wishing you that what I hope has been a happy October, and, you know, not just for yourself, but for those you care about the most. For today's episode, I wanted to cover some updates to tourism for Japan that will not only impact those of you traveling before the end of the year, but also those of you like myself who plan on returning to Japan in 2024. After that, since it is October, I'm going to go through my list of my you know, top eight current favorite horror and suspense movies from Japan, which could very well include some movies you've not heard of and provide you with you know, some additional spookiness uh, to that, those of you that are part of that Halloween festivities. And even if you're not, enjoy watching a great scary movie while you're traveling Japan next time, or just back home planning your next trip. With that in mind, unless you're driving, that is, just pop some popcorn, grab some of your favorite treats, and go ahead and find a comfy spot to sit next to a TV and turn off your lights as you can go right into enjoying my top two movies right away after this episode ends. If you feel I've missed some movies or you have, you know, maybe recommended something else, feel free to reach out to the show at Instagram at lostwithoutjapan or at email at lostwithoutjapan at gmail.com. And if I can answer any questions or be of any assistance while you're planning your next trip to Japan, don't hesitate to message the show. In two weeks, we will continue our day trip episodes uh, that we're talking about, but it's going to be a little different than we have in the past. It is going to be one where I'm going to focus in on some haunted locations in Japan, 
or those that have some sort of spirits and things that are going on. So something to look forward to. As always, I will make sure to include all those locations into one Google Maps saved file and include that at the end of the episode. The first thing I wanted to do to discuss with you today was that planning your first trip to Japan or returning trip to Japan is that I feel that the higher prices that are currently, like when you look online for airline flights to Japan, most likely will remain that way through 2024. As of now and in the immediate future, there are so many people that have wanted to go to Japan for the first time or just wanted to return, like myself, and are willing to spend more than we have in the past just to do so. If you look back really not that far, back to 2019 or 2017, you could find a two-way flight uh, you know, there and back for Japan for anywhere between $800 to $1,200, which is a huge savings of money compared to today's flights, which can range for $2,400 US dollars, even $4,000, and that's just a base flight, nothing fancy, no legroom, just you're on the plane. Now, saving $1,000 or more could be huge for lodging, food, just being able to do what you want to do when you're there. So for those of you that are listening and thinking, hey, you know, I'm not going to be able to reach that amount, don't let that you know, stop you because there's some people that I've talked to in the tourism industry that feel that in 2025, you know, at the earliest, that flights will eventually end up dropping again. And I fully plan on returning next summer myself and hope that it ends up being true sooner than that. But at least I hope that this is the case again, because I plan on taking my daughter to Japan in either 2028 or 2029. And having both flights be the cost of one currently would go a, you know, a huge amount of the way in making sure that we can have as much fun as we possibly can together. But don't let that hesitate, um, delay your trip in any way. Just continue your sharing and plan on, you know, your flight being at the, you know, current pricing. And when that drops, if that drops, uh, you know, I, I feel it will at some point in time, you'll have that money that's suddenly available and going to add so much more to your trip. So just don't lose focus. Don't be, you know, disappointed. Don't get run down. If you feel that you're getting there, reach out to me and I will be, uh, you know, your cheer section and, you know, making sure that you're continuing to take those steps towards making your dream come true. One other set of news that's caught my attention was that news about how Japan's busiest tourist areas, such as Kyoto and Hiroshima and Tokyo, to name a few, have been discussing ways to reduce the number of visitors into an area to avoid over-tourism or just to help have additional uh, funds raised to help pay for that uh, number of tourists uh, that are there. And although I continue to see articles that state that the tourism uh, is still like, you know, 30% or whatever it was from uh, peak, I'm not sure that that is the case in those heavily uh, traveled areas. Uh, definitely outside of those, but I, I got to tell you, uh, when I was in uh, Tokyo and running around, uh, it was some of the busiest that I've seen it. And maybe if it's not uh, tourists from abroad, it's just people from within Japan 
also traveling around and seeing those things is the only thing that I could think because <laughs> it it was busy. It was definitely busy. Uh, so if you, uh, like I said, if you're coming to Japan or going to Japan for the first time or you're, you're like me, uh, tasked with showing people around for the first time, I know that you're going to hit those tourist spots. But really get out of those, uh, you know, get to other spots and enjoy some space uh, and enjoy being able to see some things without having so many people around you. Japan has so much to offer. Hiroshima, though, seems to be taking the lead on this front uh, with a 100 yen uh, surcharge, basically, or around 76 yen to foreigners. Uh, to, and basically, if you're looking to go to the island of Miyajima, which is in Hiroshima, it's one of the most heavily you know, photographed quarry gates in Japan. Uh, there's the shrine, the Itsushima Shrine. All of this is the UNESCO World Heritage Site, which is best known for the fact that the gate appears to be floating on water um, at high tide and really is, you know, a spot that gets a lot of travel. So this tourism tax was originally planned to take into effect in 2021 uh, prior to the um, pandemic, uh, but uh, is going into place now. And it's not just, you know, targeted at you, you know, traveling from overseas. This is anyone that isn't a uh, member, you know, like living on this island to begin with. So what they're hoping is, and this is something that kind of caught me off guard, is the city feels the excess amount of visitors have had a negative impact on the island. That part doesn't catch me off guard, but it's this other the the cost of this, which was really way more than I thought. And if you think about visiting the spot more than five times in a year, if you happen to live within Japan, you can end up buying a yearly pass for five hundred yen or three dollars and thirty three cents for that tourism tax, so you don't have to continue to pay it. Um, and basically, how this is charged is you have to take a ferry. Uh, to get to this island, and it's a, not only are you paying for the regular ticket that you would normally uh, for that ferry, but you have to buy a separate ticket that is paying uh, the tax. So I would really recommend if you're going to this island to give yourself some extra time, avoid the busiest times, and just like in one of my previous episodes where I told you I'm going to be holding on to like 20, uh, 100 yen coins at a minimum, you know, you're going to be using that 100 yen coin again uh, to pay this fee and most likely, uh, potentially at this point, uh, other fees throughout Japan as you're traveling along. So maybe that 20 might become 25 for me or 30. They're not that heavy, <laughs> you know, but what it's going to do is offset. This is the shocking part, my friends, uh, is that it ended up catch costing the island around 300 million yen a year or a little over 2 million a year US just to upkeep and pay for tourism services for that island. That is crazy um, that it has that much impact uh, to them. And what they're hoping is that this 100 yen tax, which is really negligible, um, is going to end up raising for them, they hope, around 250 million yen or 1.68 you know, 
million U.S. to help offset some of that cost so that they can, you know, probably have some benefits coming out of this uh, when they have their regular fees and things that are added on. Not sure how this is going to be handled uh, in Kyoto or Tokyo or other locations. Kind of what I hope ends up happening is that that tourism uh, tax is just rolled into the price to begin with. And if it's this, you know, couple hundred yen or whatever it is that's there, it's really not bad, uh, you know. And when it, you realize that there's so much money that is being paid by this area that has these things that are in place that they are responsible for, yeah, I could totally get it. Um, and if that helps make things look a little more, um, you know, positive for people that are traveling to that location and not looking at them with such negativity, all for it. One topic that is yet to make a lot of press overseas is the, that unlike the cost increase of the JR Pass, which is pretty, you know, like, I'm out, like a large amount of press at this point in time, is the lack of nationally qualified tour guides. Even with the current increase in the return of tour guides who have not held that position since before um, COVID, there are many businesses, you know, worldwide that are just trying to deal with staffing issues. My own school, in and of itself, we, we can't find enough people to be lunch supervisors, to be, you know, teacher's aides, to be teachers. So this isn't just, you know, one area that is there. But what it is um, resulting in is that there are still some quality, you know, non-certified guides that you can end up going through. And I've interviewed those uh, companies and sites and I've looked through them myself. But a lot of your um, typical uh, tours that might be booked through uh, some of the bigger tour sites in Japan and not some of the smaller ones uh, that are that are there might have that, um, I might about it, but are being impacted by this. And there might be some of you that are just like, hey, I want to go with somebody that has some sort of certification that has gone through some testing. Um, I get it. If that's you, um, it's just, you really need to think about with everything, booking lodging, uh, whatever you're looking to do, do it as far out as you possibly can and make those bookings as far out as possible if you're looking to take advantage of that. Because, uh, my friends, it is waiting till you're there is just not going to um, be effective anymore and not going to be that way for a while. Um, and that includes looking to eat at a place, start checking uh, a couple months in advance, month in advance, and when you're able to make that reservation, make it. The worst thing that's going to happen is that you'll have to cancel. Also, don't let the huge price increase of the JR Pass, uh, that's kind of like being negatively um, reported, uh, impact your thoughts about making a trip either. Really, when you start breaking things down and you look into regional passes and pricing for your trips, uh, maybe making the active choice to do a discount airfare within Japan instead uh, can still keep pricing at a very reasonable level. Uh, it's just going to require a bit more planning and research to do so, and I am always available to help you with that. If any of this seems scarier than my upcoming recommendations for 
Japanese suspense and horror films, like I said, uh, don't hesitate. That's what I'm here for. It's what I enjoy doing. It's why I made the show. Now that that's out of the way, let's move on to the show's top eight list of Japanese horror and suspense films. I'll be going in reverse, ending with my number one recommendation, and would be intrigued to see how your own list matches up with mine. So if you'd like to make it, go ahead, pause, and I'll wait for you. Now that you're back, one word of warning is that I wouldn't recommend any of these movies uh, that we're discussing to be part of a family viewing event, <laughs> or even one to listen to, even just the discussion of things uh, to follow. Plus, please uh, skip the U.S. remakes of these movies. There are quite a few, and please make sure you're watching the original movie. Sometimes you can see it's just the date doesn't line up, or pictures, or you start looking at the cast, and you're like, wait, something's up. Um, they're not worth it, in my opinion, unless you're just a super fan of that movie, and you want to consume any and all content that you can of it. I'm not going to fault you then. Number eight. Uh, Suicide Club, otherwise known as Suicide Circle, starts our talk today out at number eight and is one of the horror movies we will talk about that I feel has relevance still today as the internet and social media have even more impact on our daily lives compared to the 2001 uh, when this movie was released. The director of the movie, John Sono, has had his share of controversy in regards to his past comments with the movie and has directed which really shows that like the topic and things that he covered were just controversial in the begin with of bringing up uh, this topic in general and there are some things uh, that come from this movie some aspects of the filming that show off uh, his love of just your V movies those low budget movies that the director had and this could very easily be a tough movie to watch though and I'm going to leave it up to you because uh, we all uh, deal with different things or have had things in our life that impact that uh, but um, I you know if you do end up watching it it is definitely um, unique in some instances that are there uh, with rental and purchase options available through um, the U.S. at least uh, through Amazon and Apple. Coming in at number seven is the action horror movie Battle Royale, which ended up coming out in 2000. Uh, the movie was so controversial when it came out that it was actually banned in a number of countries. This movie was directed by Kenji Fukusuku, and the screenplay was written by his son, Kinta Fukusoku. Inspiration for all of this came from a book by the same name written by Koshin Hakami. You can think of this as an early Hunger Games and as a movie that still inspires others to this day. Plus, after watching it, you'll never look at a field trip the same way and might possibly do what I did after watching and fall down into a deep wilderness survival rabbit hole. In the U.S., there are a lot of free streaming options including Tubi, the Roki Channel, and others, along with your uh, rental and purchase options options through Amazon and Apple. Number six really stands out to me as there is nothing you could do to protect yourself if you were in this 2003 movie, One Missed Call, or Chakushin Ari In in Japanese. What really makes this movie suspenseful for me 
is like uh, unlike other movies like Ringu or others that we're going to discuss later, you can't just you know like avoid uh, in the instance of the, the 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 movie that I was talking about. I can't just tell you, hey, don't don't watch the movie. What are you doing? But it's out. Like, stop looking at the TV. Like, all those things that you scream at the movie screen. Uh, at least I do, maybe. Uh, when you're watching the movie, with this, uh, it's just a call uh, that ends up coming in. And it's your future self basically telling you the date and time of your death. If you do look to rent or purchase this one, make sure um, you're not getting that U.S. remake as it is out there. And on some sites, that's all they have. Coming in at number five is the 2015 movie and live action version of I Am a Hero, which will have you wishing you had an armful of Rolex watches. Uh, and not just because <laughs> you'd have all of the money that could be sold from having those um, or just look really cool in doing so. Um, but it proves that a live action movie can indeed be a great movie, even if it does feel a bit long at times. There's no way I could get not include some zombie movies in this list. Is if I'm going to talk about horror movies, they are my favorite. And when you have a movie that's known for a large number of body counts, and that's something that enjoy you know you enjoy, this movie is definitely for you. What makes this movie directed by Shinsu Sato fun is the fact that the main character of this movie is truly just a completely average person who just so happens to be struggling manga artist as well. Sometimes you never know when it would be your time to shine, as the main character, Hiro Suzuki, spends the movie finding out, basically to himself, that his own self-worth and confidence is there and can be grown even after a lifetime of rejection. If you're in the U.S., you can rent this movie or purchase it digitally or physically through Amazon and is for sure worth the rental price of admission. From one hour, 45 minutes on, this movie really uh, won me over for that last chunk of it, and shows that despite some bad people that are in the world, good people still have their place, and can even positively impact those around them to just get the most out of themselves. This movie was not available through Apple, but was available to rent or purchase through Amazon. One thing that kept the next movie that was directed by Takashi Shimizu at number four, Duon the Curse, made in 2000, from going higher up my list was the fact that it's told out of order and it's told from various characters' viewpoints, which is a story element that I've just really never uh, enjoyed, just never gelled with me. That being said, it still ranks as high as it does because it does work really well and add to the movie in this instance and further adds to that just overall like unsettling feeling that this B movie brings to the truly creepy world you're immersed in. And it's helped by the fact that this movie is only 70 minutes long, which I think is in part why it didn't bother me as much as it does you know in other movies that I've watched where they have this still the same storytelling uh, portion of things but when you're dealing with a movie that's over two hours it's just so much worse um, but this movie would make me run 
if I was offered to, you know, buy a house after having to drink sake when I moved to Japan or anywhere else, watching this, just, no, I'm out, go somewhere else. You'll understand uh, after watching. This movie, along with its sequel, were also made even into stage plays this year. So you can tell that this has had an impact for a lot of people uh, and not just me. And if you do go to watch the Ju-On movies, make sure you're getting the right one. Um, there's there's a quite a lot of different ones. Um, a lot of those are great ones to watch uh, as well. But uh, the one that I'm focusing on is The Curse. For number three, I'm going to recommend the 1977 movie Haosu, or House, which is brought to my attention by friends of the show, Japan 2.0. They did a whole episode about this movie, and I'm going to provide a link to it in today's show's notes, because there's no way that I can match the amazingness that Matt and David had with that episode, and please just give that talk a listen and then watch the movie, and then return back to the rest of their talk. Um, one thing I will say that this is truly a very uniquely filmed movie, and really could have been something like that wouldn't have been possible if the director hadn't been someone whose whole life up to that point uh, had been spent making commercials, not full-length movies. Um, this movie has truly gained a cult following over the years and even ended up receiving a Criterion edition to boot. So if you happen to have that streaming service, it might still be on there. It was for me uh, last year around this time when I watched it. If it is not on Criterion, however, um, it is still available to rent or buy through Amazon. Ringu or The Ring 1998 movie, make sure you're getting... Um, there are remakes. Uh, I just ended up watching this again with my daughter a few days ago, prior to the sickness uh, running rampant through our house. Uh, maybe there's a tie-in somewhere in here. I don't know. I hope not. Um, but it's st still, this movie still makes me jump. Unlike some other movies from the past, it truly holds up to this day. If you've ever wondered where the video with a girl from a TV uh, that comes out of a TV uh, came from, uh, this movie is for you. Let me tell you that if you this was real, in a, in a real world that I was, you know, unfortunately enough uh, put within, I wouldn't own a TV. I wouldn't own a phone. I wouldn't own anything with a screen, a tablet, nothing at all. <laughs> I'd go out of my way to make sure that there was no way that I could possibly see any movie, uh, much less uh, the one that this curse is coming from. Uh, it's based on a novel by the same name that was released in 1991 and as part of a trilogy of books that were written by Koji Suzuki. It was also made into a manga, a TV series, an audio drama, so many different things. Um, there are even a few movies that came after this one that I've not seen. Um, like There was a prequel and a sequel and all of these different things that are here, but it really is responsible for kicking off a bunch of movies that are super well known uh, today from Japanese horror, such as The Grudge and Dark Water, just to name a few. As is the case with others, there has been remakes with this, so make sure you're getting the correct one. Coming in at number one, 
for me is One Cut of the Dead by Kamara O. Kamaru. Nah, it's translated as Don't Stop the Camera or Don't Stop Shooting in Japanese and only had a budget of $25,000 US, but ended up grossing over $30 million worldwide, but only 52000 of that came from the US. So it's truly most likely a movie um, that you've not heard about. The first part of this movie was done all in one shot, and it was taken as a zombie movie that the characters in this movie were tasked to make uh, from a TV station. And that part, although it was, you know, decent and fun, was not what I enjoyed the most. Instead, what could be like my favorite part of this whole thing was a story that was told on how they even got to that point. And see how they actually made the movie what went into uh the actors being there um how they ended up making their performances how they did some special effects and that is what sealed it for me and really made it as enjoyable for me although i could say from a horror standpoint uh there are quite a few of the movies that are on this list that i would enjoy more than this one but you can uh, purchase or rent this movie through Amazon or Apple as well. And I would say that you would not be disappointed by renting this movie. Um, it is you know, worth your time for that. In the end, I don't think you're going to be disappointed by any of the movies that I have recommended for today. One thing that is a constant about pretty much all of these is that knowing as little as possible about them going into it is what's going to make them enjoyable. So, like, try to avoid looking up anything more about them. It's kind of why I was a little vague about each description as well. But you can look forward to, in two weeks, just Again, us talking about some of the most haunted locations in Japan uh, that you could add to your travel itinerary. And that will be before we move on to some of the sounds I record in Japan uh, from our, my trip this summer. And then we will have uh, ourselves a regular back to, you know, day trip episode that takes place in the Alps of Japan. While all of this is going on, I will also look to be completing some interviews with some amazing guests who all seem to have that same availability that begins sometimes in November or later. We have so much to look forward to together, and I can't wait to celebrate another calendar year spent with all of you and kind of coming across two big milestones together, which I hope we can accomplish this year. And I'll just say, hey, um, I know we're going to accomplish this year, which will be hitting uh, 10,000 downloads for our show. Looks like we're going to call it a night before we begin our next adventure or continue our discussion and exploration of Japan. So on behalf of Lost Without Japan and the entire crew, I'd like to thank you for joining us on this trip today, and we look forward to seeing you on board again in two weeks for the next episode. To everyone out there, Oginki Day. Stay well, my friends. And for the song of the show today, I have chosen a spooky one at that. It is the 1979 song Noroi by Akao Yamazaki, which is about a curse. Um, and in part is was written uh, because of her resentment 
of signing a music contract when she was young and is filled with lyrics that if you actually look at the translation might just keep you up at night. Uh, so I'll provide the YouTube link uh, for that as well. Uh, just thank you all for coming along on this journey. Hope the popcorn was good. And if there's any of these that stand out more to you and your enjoyment, feel free to say so. Thank you all.
コンコンコンコン釘を刺すコンコンコンコン釘を刺すコンコンコンコン釘を刺す」